What's going on, listeners? You have reached the Popcorn and Pop Culture Podcast. What's up? My name is Robert Eng. I'm your host for this episode and the other host calling in through Skype. Say hi to Michael Sheehan. Yo, 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 yo. What is up, everybody? (laughs) Well, we got a treat in store for you guys today. So Mike and I have been talking about movies for quite a long time. And for this podcast, sometimes we get wrapped up talking about a single movie because we love it so much. And we were like, why don't we just, you know, make some type of Hall of Fame for the podcast. And that's going to give us the opportunity to talk about some of our favorite movies of all time. So based on some type of formula that we made up, we were going to rank movies based on the year and based on our mutual rankings, we're going to have a movie selected to be inducted into our podcast Hall of Fame. This podcast episode, we chose the year 1995. Mike and I submitted our rankings and our movies. We had four overlaps. And the one movie that we decided to be inducted into our Hall of Fame. This is our first inductee. This is very, very exciting, folks. Drum roll, please. Brrr. Mike, tell, the, tell everyone, what movie is it? Well, it's not five, it's not six, but it is the movie Seven. Boom, Seven. So what we're going to do is talk about the movie. We're going to try to avoid most of the plot or just going through the plot and the premise because it's a pretty old movie. I'm pretty sure you've seen it by now. If you haven't seen it, there's going to be plenty of spoilers. So please press pause, watch the movie, come back. Because we're about to tell you why we love this movie so much. So, Mike, do you want to get started? Uh, is there anything you want to say about Seven, the first time you saw it? Um, just the, the, anything in general? Well, real quick before we launch into Seven, you know, this was an interesting uh, exercise to try and rank, you know, your top ten movies, you know, from that year. And it, it just it's kind of, you know... Uh, um, fascinating to me to point out that only four movies on our list overlapped. I think that's kind of interesting, you know, and it kind of shows you the strength of, of that year in film um, and all the great movies that came out. And, you know, uh, just mentioning the other three overlaps, I think it was like Apollo 13, uh, Toy Story, and what was the other one that overlapped? The Usual Suspects. The Usual Suspects. So, you know, some pretty good competition there so obviously you know it says a lot that seven was high enough on both of our lists uh that take the winning spot um so talking about seven you know this is this is a movie uh that resonates in my mind uh over the years i've gone back and rewatched it a couple times um it's a very dark movie um you know and you know starring uh brad pitt and morgan freeman um and kevin spacey um just you know, one of the movies that I think helps me fall in love with film, it, it's something that you watched and it's just incredible acting, phenomenal writing, um, and, and obviously incredible direction. And when you have all three of those things, you have a home run. And it just, it was just such a great movie. Um, and I guess my favorite, you know, one, one of the, the biggest draws to this film that for me at the time was Brad Pitt because I think this movie was kind of coming off of the heels of Fight Club um, and he was, you know, rising in popularity. It, I mean, he's always been popular, but, you know, just this having this film come out and a lot of people went to see it and a lot of people, it, it's been a cult favorite for many, many years. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm just going to pause here and let you chime in and see what you have to say about the movie yourself. Definitely. Well, 
Just, uh, just to name some things, this is a David Fincher film, and Mike and I have expressed our love for David Fincher films. Uh, personally, he's one of my favorite directors, not only in this generation, but of all time. And that says a lot. And for the record, David, this, is, this was the second David fin Fincher film ever. The first film he did, directed uh, for you know, um, a feature film, was Alien 3. This was his second film. Imagine Seven being your second film. And I don't know if I have this right. I don't know if I have the timeline right. But I think he was younger. He was, he was younger than 30 years old when he did this film. So just imagine a 20-something something, year old guy directing, you know, Morgan Freeman, one of the biggest movie stars, Brad Pitt, a great movie star, and just Kevin Spacey, and just kind of like at the helm of this incredibly dark and twisted crime thriller story, and just like, I don't know, that is just so, so interesting to me, because this was a film in 1995. Mike and I were both 10 years old. I don't know about you, Mike, but I didn't see this movie for a long time <laughs> since it came out. Um, <clears throat> obviously, you know, I wasn't seeing R-rated films when I was 10 years old. And I didn't really get into films seriously until I was in college. So I don't, when was the first time you remember watching this film, Mike? And what were, what were your reactions to it? Yeah, I think it was also in college. You know, at college is like really when I fell in love with film in general. You know, I took a couple of film appreciation classes, and and um, this was uh, one of the movies we actually watched. Um, and I'll never forget, you know, my professor kind of showing. Uh, we didn't watch the whole movie, but we watched, you know, clips of it. And it's just use of like light was a was a or rather rather lack thereof light um, in a lot of the scenes. You know, you could you knew who it was. You knew it was Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt in these. You know. Uh, in, in these scenes where, you know, there had been a dead body found, one of the seven deadly sins. And so you're, you're like, you know who the characters are, but you can't always make out who whose face it is or who's saying what to the other person. And, um, you know, just studying, getting to study kind of those things, it, it was pretty incredible. And it definitely made you had a big appreciation for what Fincher did with this film. Oh, yeah, definitely. And you, you nailed it when you said this film was dark. <clears throat> Not only is the tone of the film really, really dark, but like you said, just the lighting of the film was dark. And almost every single scene, it's raining. And that already just puts this cloud over this entire atmosphere, this entire setting of this film. And it, it's, it's, you know, it's very symbolic, but it's also just a, a style, a tone that Fincher was aiming for because this story that he's about to tell is incredibly grim. So I love that about it. I also um, was recommending this film in college, and I remember having a, a discussion with one of my professors who loved this movie, but not only just loved this movie, specifically loved the title sequence of this film. And he made us watch the title sequence, not once, but twice, just going over it, almost like, you know, scene by scene. And it was fascinating to me because, <clears throat> like I said, I was just getting into movies, kind of watching movies more seriously with, you know, with a purpose rather than just enjoying it. And <clears throat> I don't know about you, Mike, or I don't know about whoever else is listening, but when I would watch a title sequence, I would just be like, all right, this is my time to go get a drink, get more popcorn, you know? It's like, I would shut off the brain, just be like, all right, who's in this movie? Okay, that's cool, he's in it, 
I can't wait for the movie to start. But Seven did an absolutely incredible job. It was almost like a short film inside of this title sequence that really gave you your first glimpse into this killer that was played by Kevin Spacey. Because <clears throat> you go into like his notebooks and you kind of see that this there's this man who's kind of going, who's writing down just an obscene amount of information you get you got into the killer's head he's a serial killer he's obsessed with religion and he has all sorts of regret and he wants to do something about it and you see these paper clippings and all his handwritten notebooks it's really really a cool little title sequence and of course nine inch nails close closes playing in the background and it's just a great 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 sequence and know for some reason I still remember the professor just really harping on this one film and just the title sequence in general. But did you do you remember the title sequence, Mike? And you have any uh you know remarks about that? You know I don't remember this title sequence, but um, we should probably do a separate podcast about title sequences in general because there's so much that you can like learn about a movie. A movie when you go back and rewatch title sequences. You know I mentioned Fight Club earlier. That that was a really cool fight uh, uh, title sequence where like. You know, you're watching the brainwave function um, inside this, you know, you know, it's kind of like a microscopic view. It's the 3D imaging, but of brainwaves and electricity shooting from one place to another. And it really, like, kind of puts you inside the mind of this character. And it has a lot to say about the film in general. Um, so, I, you know, t using title sequences, I think, is something that is actually underused today. You know, uh, honestly, like... A lot of the Marvel movies don't do it very well. Anyway, I know I'm like digressing and kind of talking on another subject, but we really need to talk about that further in depth. But I'm going to go back and rewatch this one uh, to kind of see see what it it had to say about the movie. So thank you for uh, bringing that up. No, oh, totally. And you're right. You're you, you're totally right about most movies do not even use the title sequence to its you know benefit. You can totally take the viewers into the world or it just do something really creative with the title sequence seven totally did it you talked about fight club did it but yeah a lot of a lot of, a lot of movies today a lot of movies in the past just kind of just like okay here's the here's the the title here's some you know names that are popping up and like they just totally squander a great opportunity anyway so let's talk about more about the this odd couple relationship between Somerset, played by Morgan Freeman, and Mills, played by Brad Pitt. We have the veteran detective. He's about to retire. He's old. He's You can just see he's he's broken down already. Being a homicide detective must be so, you know, taxing and exhausting. And he's just this loner. And he kind of just gets it. I feel Somerset just gets that life is kind of shitty. And things are about to get really shittier with this. And he wants out. I, I don't blame him. Like, he doesn't want to be involved in this really gruesome serial killer that they're... That, that they have to solve but Brad Pitt's character Mills he just he just like comes in from I forget where he comes in from but he's just like bright-eyed bushy-tailed he's ready to go he's kind of kind of you know naive in that whole aspect but he's ready to prove himself and he's just he has like his whole life ahead of him Mike what do you think about this this pairing um to the story to the character development and the casting of Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt 
Uh, you know, I, I really enjoy, you know, them as a team. I think that they work really, really well with each other. Um, you know, I think it was a great, great job at casting. Um, I couldn't imagine anyone, any other two people in those roles. You know, when you think of that duo, I kind of am reminded, and I know it's been done many, many times in a bunch of different movies, but I think of, uh, uh, I think it's called 48 Hours, um, the movie with Danny Glover. Uh, is, that, is that the name of the title? Do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, it's, um, I think it's called 48 Hours, so... Uh, <coughs> I, I'm not really blank. I'm sorry, everybody listening. I need to Google this. But anyway, it's it's Danny Glover and um, Braveheart. What the hell is his name? Mel Gibson? Yes. Are you talking about Lethal Weapon? Yes, that's what I'm talking okay, about. Okay, wow. And uh, Well, because 48 Hours is the one with Eddie Murphy, right? I'm not yeah. sure if I've seen that. Okay. Anyway, my point is that, you know, this kind of like dual duo both like an you know, older cop, kind of younger cop, has definitely been done before. Um, but Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt were great on screen together, you know, having them play off each other. Totally buy them as, you know, kind of being partners, you know, by the end of the movie. Like, they, you feel this connection between these two people. And um, is it okay? Should we jump to the, to the end of the film and this kind of final, like, twist slash decision that has to be made by, by Brad Pitt? Yeah, soon. Before we get into that, because <clears throat> that's probably going to take up the, the bulk of the rest of this episode. <clears throat> I just want to point out that this this film, Seven, at, at the surface, it kind of just feels like your regular um, crime thriller or drama. It's like, it feels like your reg regular crime mystery. You know, you have these detectives. We're introduced to those detectives right away. We get to know them as people a little bit deeper as the movie goes along. We get to know them as a pair. And yeah, they're just trying to solve these series of murders. And you see the first one is very gruesome. The guy's flat, dies, you know, gluttony and everything. And I love it how they were able to <clears throat> quickly pin it to the seven deadly sins. And that's interesting. Like right there, it's really, really cool. Because you know you have a serial killer on your hand. It's not just random killing. That's not, um, you know, purposeful killings. Just like a specific type of person, the specific type of people. And... Then you go into like the mythology of the seven deadly sins, the, the the Bible, you go into other stories like Dante's Inferno, and like I feel like Seven and what Fincher did and the I forget the, the person who wrote this uh, film, but what they really did was they really just took this very simple and this this simple crime mystery that has been told millions of times before and they just made it slightly different. Like they, they just like kinda like were right outside the box there. And that started from how John Doe kind of became John Doe, which is played by Kevin Spacey. He played. He's this character. He's he's like this this shadow in the background. And you kind like you know, there's certain scenes where you kind of see him. They get into a shootout with uh, Brad Pitt. But he, without even seeing him until about 30 minutes left in the film, he's already this major character that is just lurking around the cops. And I think that's a fascinating thing to accomplish in a film without even seeing anything about him. He his presence is so forthcoming in the film and then when Kevin Spacey as John Doe finally just turns himself in at the police office that scene was like the first mind-blown scene of the movie Mike do you remember seeing that for the first time what did you think when Kevin Spacey just comes in all bloodied and it's like basically like hey man you're looking for me like well what did you think about that moment 
yeah i mean i really enjoyed it you know and i remember like one of like the weird things like leading up to that uh just a minor plot point is that they couldn't find like fingerprints from that character you know in um in any of the crime scenes and then like you see him and he's got bandages all over his hands because he had like burned off off his fingertips and like i again i hadn't been watched that many films at this point in my life in college i was just like blown away by that you know that thought process and like that uh you know as a writer like what a, a great device um to have this killer be like super anonymous totally and yeah, Kevin Spacey's John Doe is just so, so meticulous in his planning of these killings. I believe one of the murders he did actually had to be taken place over a year-long stretch just to kind of, like, make him suffer enough for his sin. And to have a serial killer at that, you know, magnitude of planning and organization and just so, so, he feels like he was doing these moral justices to these people because they're committing these sins. And, oh my God, it's just like, the, it was just so fascinating to try to understand what the killer was thinking, why he was doing that. And on top of this, I did read this later on that... Because cause we didn't get to watch it when the movie came out. But after I read some articles about this movie, it was it was a surprise that Kevin Spacey was playing John Doe. They kept him out of the title sequence credits. He wasn't a part of any presses um, going on talk shows or anything for the movie because they really did keep this under wraps. And I don't know if that happens too often today or at least you know in, in, in the past, but that is a huge thing to keep off a huge actor just to keep this secret intact before the release of the movie came out, Mike, what do you think? Yeah, man, I, I think it's pretty crazy. And you know, just on a side note, the other one of the other movies that was on both of our lists was The Usual Suspects. Came out the same year. And spoiler alert for that movie, if you haven't seen it, Kevin Spacey is also the the villain, the evil doer in that film. So it's pretty cool to have him, you know, be like the the one of the you know the most important characters in both of those films and be evil in both of them in the same year man that that is so true i i almost forgot that we were talking about usual suspects on our list and yeah that is so funny that kevin spacey was you know both there you know villainous okay mike so you just want i know you're, you're, you're tingling you're, you're 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 itchy i i know you want to talk about this climactic ending this iconic memorable scene that everyone is going to remember once you've seen this film and then you can just shout out those words what's in the box and everyone knows exactly what you're talking about Mike I don't know how you want to break this down but please just tell me tell me um, what you thought of the scene while it was unfolding tell me about this brilliant conclusion that Seven has put up to our eyes, to all the viewers, and just, you know, give me your reactions to it. What's in the box? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, man, this this scene, like, when the first time, it, it is something I'll never forget, is watching this scene for the first time. You know, just the, the build-up to this, you know, to this final moment where you have, you know, Brad Pitt, Kevin Spacey, uh, you know, out in the desert together, and Morgan Freeman, like, you know, kind of, I don't know, like a quarter mile away, like, opening up a packet, you know, or, or getting a package, and them talking on the cell phone, and, like, trying to figure out, like, what's what's in the box. <laughs> um, oh, my God. It was just, it was such, it was, like, one of those moments where I'm holding my breath, watching, waiting, and I'm at, you know, as Brad Pitt is screaming, what's in the box, 
I'm like, what's in the box? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you as a as a viewer of this movie, you you know, you, you I was taken by surprise. Again, spoiler alert. You know, by what what ends up being inside the box. <laughs> I, I'll let you give it away, Rob. Go ahead. Yeah. So. I'll just take it back a little bit further before I say that. I just remember watching this for the first time, and I'm going to, you know, give my memory of it. And that scene was so, so suspenseful and thrilling. Just like you, man. I I probably held my breath for a good five minutes during that scene. And, like, even before that, when they, they you know, they're, they're driving with Kevin Spacey in the back, and he's just like, oh, we're coming close. And I'm like, oh, man, what's going to happen? I'm thinking, I'm thinking, like, classic type of, uh, you know, cop and crime stories. Like, oh, man, he's, he's totally throwing them into a trap. They're going to get ambushed, like, whatever. He's going to kill the cops. They have the helicopter point of view uh, camera shot, which was just brilliant, by the way. And the the, the helicopter helicopter couldn't come close because they were you know, they were in the middle of a, of, a, of a desert but with all these power lines so they couldn't even get close and just when they finally park and you see, they get out and you know they're following Kevin Spacey who's basically just tiptoeing and like walking into just this middle of this field and I'm just like what is gonna happen here and I love movies that you can't you can't even predict what's about to happen because what's about to happen is about to blow your freaking mind and then you see this one lone like van or truck just coming down the field and I'm like oh man here it comes and I remember my heart pounding I remember hearing like the, the blasts of the of the horns of the, uh, the 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 music of the film coming at you and I'm just like what is what is going on here and this when it gets closer and closer and all the cops are freaking out and it's just like this guy just delivering this box he's like yep yeah, got a delivery for Mills you know here you go and then he just like he like bounces like he's like get at it like he just bounces so quickly and I I kind of giggle when that happened I'm like I have no idea what's going on but it was like that nervous laugh and then. You know, they're like, oh my god, it's a bomb, let's get the bomb squad in here. And then Somerset just looks at it like, this, is, this ain't no bomb, I'm going to open this up. And then, yeah, it was like, it was so such a cool scene, such a cool idea to have Somerset open this box with his like, pocket knife while Brad Pitt has a gun to Kevin Spacey's head. And just to look at his reaction when he opens the box. We're still in the dark. We're just like, what the hell? Like, like you said, what is in the box? Tell me right now what's in the box. I'm about to, you know, fall out of my seat. And to see Morgan Freeman just like gasp in horror. And I did read up that, you know, they did this. David David Fincher is one director to want, he wants to do scenes over and over again. Maybe, you know, 12, 20, 30 times just to get the right take. And he did that with this. But I, I read that they still ended up, after like 20 or 30 takes, they still took the first take um, of Morgan Freeman's reaction. Cause just because it was the most, like, you know, genuine. Anyway, and oh man, Mike, when he, when he gasps and looks into that box, I'm just like, what is in it? And then there's like, there's even still a couple minutes before you even find out what is in the box. I'm sorry, Mike, I've been talking too much. Now, now you tell everyone what's in the box. <laughs> so, well, no, I wanted you to do it. <laughs> So then, oh man, I'm going to do it now. So now what happens is that 
you know, you know, you know, Somerset just runs, he darts as fast as his like 60-year-old ass can to, to the rap pit. And he's just like, he has the upper hand. Put down your gun. He has the upper hand, like, don't do it. But this whole time when he's like like you said, he's kind of far away and he's old, you know, so he can't run that fast. And the whole time Kevin Spacey's just chirping into Brad Pitt's ears, and he basically is just like, Yeah, you know, you're I was at your uh your house after you left for work, saw your pretty wife. Uh I guess my sin is uh whatever, jealousy or whatever that sin was, um, envy, and uh, I, I, I took her head, or I forget the line, but he basically just tells him that Gwyneth Paltrow's head, which is, which is uh, the wife of Brad Pitt's character in the movie, is in the box. And then you're just like, what? Like, you are so mind blown about this. But not only that, but what this means, what this means in the whole mythology of the film, and what... John Doe is trying to portray is he trying he's trying to complete his masterpiece of the seven deadly sins and anyone who commits these sins deserve you know to die type of thing and Kevin Spacey is admittingly like hey I had envy your wife is beautiful you you're beautiful you have a great you know family coming up you have a, a job right now like you, you know you have everything that I envy that's why I killed her and so he wants Kevin uh, he wants Mills to kill him for the final, the seventh deadly sin, Wrath, to complete his masterpiece. And just, oh my god, Mike, what did you think when this whole reveal just kind of unfolded right in front of your eyes? Like, what, what, what was your reaction? So, I, I vaguely remember actually still not being convinced, because you didn't, I don't think they showed you it, it, that it was actually his wife's head until after he ends up killing Kevin Spacey. They kind of, like, Kevin Spacey's saying this is what it is, but I don't, you're kind of like, is he lying? Is he just trying to go, you know, Brad Pitt into doing this? Um, you know, but then they, they show you somewhere in that sequence, and I, I want to go back and rewatch it to find out exactly where it happens, but there's, there's definitely this, like, you know, 10 seconds or 15 seconds where you're kind of like, is it true? Is that what he really did, you know? Um, but you kind of see it on, like, Morgan Freeman's face before you actually see, like, and I, th I think all you see is, is strands of blonde hair, like a, a, a quick shot of strands of blonde hair in the box. Does that sound right to you? Oh, yeah, that's totally right. There, there, is the, there are those moments where you're like, no, there's no way. But you're right, you know, Brad Pitt's character even just looks at Somerset just like, He's looking for kind of like confirmation. Is she dead? Is her head in that box? And I don't think Somerset tells him, but his his reaction tells him all you can see, uh, all you need to see. And then, like you said, I think you do see like the top of the head in the box, like the, the blonde hair. So for the, us viewers, we're kind of confirming that fact. And then, yeah, and then, you know, you, you get into kind of Brad Pitt's, you, you, you throw yourself into his shoes right there, and you're like, oh my god, you know, he just killed your wife, but he, he has the power, but he wants you to complete his masterpiece. Do you kind of, like, not seek that wrath, revenge to kill him right there to make sure that he doesn't kind of win in a way, even though he just killed your wife? But then the real blow is that it's revealed that his wife was pregnant at the time, which Mills did not know. So that is kind of like the last straw. He really struggles to kind of 
to, to accept this news that his wife was pregnant, didn't know, and now she's dead, not going to have the baby. And yep, he uh, puts a bullet right into his brain, uh, along with probably seven or eight other rounds into his body. And that was, it's, it's still, it's like a haunting and such a dark and twisty freaking ending, man. Like, what did you think when that entire sequence was over, Mike? I don't know. You're, I was just exhausted. Like you're like you're defeated. You're like, oh my god. You know, you know he did it. You know he he fell into this trap. You know, and his whole I mean his whole life was ruined. So you understand it from a character perspective. You understand why he pulled that trigger. It, it makes sense. And um, even though you know maybe you're partially relieved that Kevin Spacey's now dead, you're you're heartbroken for Brad Pitt. And you know now he. You know what, like this question of like what what happens to him next? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's he obviously just broke Brad Pitt's character. He, there's nothing left for him. Um, Somerset just cannot wait to get out of here. And so I read about this, and I didn't really know. I don't know if you know this, Mike, but apparently that after that sequence there's um you, you kind of see the reactions and what's left of brad pitt and somerset and everything and then you hear morgan freeman's uh, voiceover with the quote you know hemingway said that the world's a fine place and worth fighting for i agree with the second part that was inserted after a lot of preview screenings because the movie initially was written to end right after Brad Pitt um, kills Kevin Spacey, but a lot of the preview audiences thought that that was way too dark, and the studio thought so too, and so they had to throw in that quote to kind of make it somewhat like less bleak in like the slightest way possible, because they just, for some reason, the studio just did not want it to end on that really, really downer of a note. Mike, did you know this, and what do you think about that? No, I didn't know it. You know, it's the one thing that I, I always... Uh, in that scene, the one thing that I guess I don't understand is why Brad Pitt doesn't end up just killing himself after it's all said and done. Because you kind of, from a character's perspective, I mean, he's lost everything. You know, I, I don't understand, I guess, why, you know, I, it would make more sense if he would do that. Obviously, then it's like just super depressing. <laughs> but I, I always kind of question that. And I, I remember, like, I, I think probably a couple years after I saw the movie with her. The first time I actually convinced myself that he did kill himself, and then I went back and rewatched it, and it wasn't the case. Yeah, no, that's a that's a, that's a pretty interesting insight there. Why didn't he kill himself right then and there? Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't know why. I guess it's just the way the story was written and everything. He, you're right. He he's basically has been taken of everything that was good in his life. Um, you know, he's probably not going to be a cop any longer he's not gonna you know he lost his wife and his unborn baby and it's really really depressing to think about that let's not think about that mike let's talk about <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about more i want to know more about because this is definitely a film that you and i have watched multiple times and there's no there's no power that can repeat itself from watching a film like this the first time but what I believe that makes a great film and a film just like Seven is, is that, you know, in addition to the power of watching it for the first time, it is just so well made and so good that on additional viewing, second, three, four, or five, 
you know, 20 times, it still remains amazing. So without those shocks from the twists and that really, really horrific and surprising ending, what made you enjoy watching this film multiple times? Uh, I mean, the simple answer is just it has layers. I mean, you know, any good movie is going to give you stuff beyond the basic storyline. And, uh, you know, this movie does it. It it has its storyline. It has its character development. It has, like we talked about, you know, incredible, like, tonality, um, really cool shots, you know, cinematography. So, you know, and this music and the building, like, and the pace of the film, like, there's so many things you can look at and watch the movie and appreciate about it, and that's the reason I go back to any movie more than once, you know, it has something that I can appreciate, something I can kind of focus on on another viewing, um, you know, it's, it's all about what's good in life, layers, you know? Yeah, totally, I believe, I, I, I totally agree with you, and, like, I like the fact that even though this film was almost like a formulaic crime or you know mystery it's it's i feel like it's less heavy on plot and more heavy on character development and kind of a character study of these um cops and even the john doe kevin spacey uh serial killer character and that being said i i don't know if it's just me but i gravitate more to movies with that type of development in it because having seen a movie you kind of like even I don't know if, I don't know about you, Mike, but when I watch a movie for the first time, it's almost like it's almost like listening to a song for the first time. Like if I listen to a song for the first time, oh man, this is a great beat, but I'm not really listening to the lyrics. But I can really enjoy the song. But then when I listen to that great song again and again, I'll listen to the lyrics. I'll be like, oh wow, what do they mean by saying this? And it it just mashes together to be one masterpiece of a song. And with Seven and other movies that I love, I feel like with multiple viewings, I get to just you know, like you said, understand the layers more. And for this film, the the character study, trying to get into the heads of these main characters, what their motivations are, why they're doing or saying certain things, and how it affects other characters around them. What are the consequences? What 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 is happening between every single decision made possible? And with seven, I think it was just really, really well written and i think it starts from there and like you said obviously it's well acted with these three amazing actors but the direction and the writing was like second to none here i couldn't imagine the story being any different and that's why i kept going back to it and you know just talking about it right now i'm like i really would just want to rewatch seven now because i probably haven't rewatched this film in like a year or two so i don't when was the last time you saw it uh yeah it's been it's been a couple of years you know um but it's definitely worth a rewatch, and obviously with everything we've discussed, it's kind of no surprise why this movie made it into the Popcorn and Pop Culture Podcast Hall of Fame. <laughs> That's right, so congratulations to Seven, our first movie inducted into our Hall of Fame. Thank you very much for listening. Mike, anything else you gotta say? No, just, you know, catch us out. Uh, catch, <laughs> listen, catch us on the Popcorn and Pop Culture Podcast.wordpress.com. Definitely. Um, thanks for listening, and uh, tune in next time. Peace. Peace.